Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 209, Faraday's Law, the Foundation of Ignition Coil Functionality. Uh, <laughs> this one's going to be probably more technical than maybe most people want to really listen to, I suppose. But uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I knew this stuff. I didn't actually know it was called Faraday's Law, but that's another story. But uh, it really kind of, we're going to go into the, really the, the function and, and the different laws that are uh, applicable to the operation of an ignition coil. Okay. So this is uh, from a, a trade magazine called Motor Age. The uh, author is Brandon Steckler, which he's a rather prolific author, has written many, many, many um, articles, of which I certainly have done several podcasts from. So um, let's get started. So Faraday's Law, the foundation of ignition coil functionality. Ignition event acquisition and waveform analysis didn't go away with the distributor. Understanding Faraday's law means knowing what an ignition waveform can demonstrate for a diagnostician, and that's a home run in the world of drivability. That was sort of an intro, so here's the actual article. Uh, oh, I forgot to do uh, a little couple commercials. Um, if you ever want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under Brad's Motor Works, if you ever want to uh, get a hold of me through that. And... Um, yeah, there we go. So, let's get started. I'm frequently asked to analyze many ignition waveform captures from technicians around the globe. This is a skill set that has been hammered into my head since I was a young, up-and-coming diagnostician. Why? Because this waveform analysis is the same, regardless of which spark ignition internal combustion engine the waveform was derived from. Faraday's Law. I will be the first to tell you that I'm not one to suggest memorizing these days these laws of physics. I do, however, recommend becoming familiar with what, is, what it is that they are defining. Faraday's law addresses what is known as electromagnetic induction. This is the electrical current that is generated in a conductor or wire when a nearby adjacent magnetic field changes in strength or intensity. Said another way, we can create electricity in a wire simply by moving and changing a magnetic field near that wire. I told you I told you that to tell you this I told you that to tell you this, this is exactly how ignition coils function on all spark ignition internal combustion engines, regardless of year, make, or model. That's right, at a basic level, an ignition coil operates the same in a 1929 Marmon as it does in a 2022 Bugatti Chiron. It's plain to see why this was pounded into my head so many years ago. During the 19th century, a phys physicist named Michael Faraday discovered a relationship between a changing magnetic field strength, mag magnetic flux, and the electromotive force voltage that is induced within a wire as a result. This is what became known as Faraday's law. In a, in a recent article, I discussed another law of physics. I, I, wow, I discussed another law of physics known as Lenz's law. While Lenz's law relates to the rate of current flow change in inductor as it saturates ignition coil primary windings, Faraday's law relates to the resulting inductive kick 
that occurs when that current flow ceases and that ignition coil discharges. And this is the basis for our topic of discussion today. Seen here is an experiment to help describe what is to be expected as a magnet is passed through a hollow cardboard tube. Around this tube is an inductor, multiple coils of a conductor or wire. Connected on either end of the inductor are the leads of this Fluke 88 DVOM set to detect voltage indifference, difference in voltage between the red and black test leads. As the magnet, along with its magnetic lines of flux, is passed through the hollow tube, the flux lines across the inductor coils and induce a voltage indifference, as seen on the DVOM display. Sorry, I can't show you that. In fact, these same principles allow variable reluctance crankshaft camshaft position sensors to operate with the signal characteristic they exhibit. Step up transformer construction. So, how does this all relate to the ignition coil and what is its significance? The ignition coil is a device known as a step-up transformer. It earned that name because an ignition coil operates with only 12 to 14 volts, can step up that voltage to amplitudes nearing 80,000 volts on some systems. This is all possible to the, due to the operation of the ignition coil, which functions as it does due to Faraday's law. I'll begin by describing an ignition coil as having two distinct sets of coil windings, inductors. One is known as the primary winding and the other the secondary winding. There are, these are two sets of windings that affect one another through a process called mutual induction. Mutual induction is described as a voltage being introduced in one set of windings because of a change in current magnetism in the other set of windings. In other words, a steady current in the primary windings does nothing except establish a magnetic field. The collapsing of that magnetic field when the current flow ceases creates the induced voltage in the secondary set of windings. Primary windings. Regarding the configuration of the coil, the primary set of windings is set is the set that is being controlled or in which the current is being manipulated. For that reason, this set of windings is larger in diameter relative to the diameter of the secondary windings to allow for higher current flow values. It's common to see primary coil windings carrying 10 amps or more. However, the length of the primary winding is relatively short compared to the secondary windings. This allows for only several hundred turns of the inductor. Secondary windings. The secondary set of windings is much thinner in diameter relative to the primary windings. The secondary windings do not carry much current or for very long, typically less than two milliseconds. However, the secondary windings are significantly longer relative to the primary windings to allow for at least 100 times more turns of the inductor. For every one turn of primary windings, there are typically 100 turns of secondary windings, and that fact holds some significance I will discuss here shortly. Co coil functionality. It's typical to see the primary set of windings supplied with a source of voltage from a fused source and or relay. The control of current flow is then carried out by a switching device on the ground side. These switching devices replace the points condenser in older distributors systems when the systems were eventually engineered with electronic control, and they have various names depending upon the vehicle manufacturer. Some you may recognize from this list below. PCM, ECM, ignition control module, uh, which is called ICM1, ignition control unit, which is called an ICU, igniter, power stage, coil control module. 
Although the names vary greatly, rest assured they all serve the same purpose, to allow electrical current to flow and then to prevent current from flowing. When the switching device allows for current to flow through the primary windings, this is known as a dwell period. At that time, the coil windings begin to take on energy as they saturate. This energy or current flowing through the looping inductor creates a magnetic field around that inductor. At the time the PCM-ECM decides it's appropriate to induce a spark at the spark plug gap for a, spe for a specific cylinder, the PCM-ECM will end the dwell period by opening the circuit via the switching device. The current that was flowing through the windings no longer flows. As a result, the magnetic field that built up over the dwell period collapses. Electricity and magnetism are very closely related. So when the magnetic field collapses, that potential energy must dissipate somehow. It does so by transferring from magnetism to electricity within the primary windings. Keep in mind, keep in mind the several hundred turns of primary windings mentioned earlier. Because each turn of the primary windings multiplies the induced voltage, the 12 to, volt 12 to 14 volts that was used to energize the primary windings is now several hundred volts as the magnetic field collapses as displayed on the snap-on modus capture in figure 8, which we can't see. Because the secondary windings are within close proximity to the primary windings, the several hundred volts we have discussed are mutually induced in the secondary windings. What's more is, what's more is the secondary windings have at least 100 times the turns of the primary windings. So, how do you think that affects the induced voltage? You guessed it, the voltage is multiplied. This now means that the several... 100 volts induced in the primary windings becomes tens of thousands of volts induced in the secondary windings. It's this tremendous amount of energy that is required to create and maintain the spark at the plug electrodes in the cylinder under tremendous amount of heat and pressure. This occurs as much as a billion times over the life of the vehicle. Wow. Applicable to most. So why make a, such a big deal about Faraday's law? The fact remains that even though technology has advanced and continues to advance significantly over the years, it's a common misconception that ignition event acquisition and waveform analysis are dead. I will say it's a dying art, but it's only because techs think the ability went away with the ignition distributor. It's true that acquisition was much easier with the distributor because it offered a very simple and easily accessible test point at the coil output to acquire the secondary waveform. With today's coil-over plug, coil-on plug, what's known as COP systems, the secondary waveform is accessible through the implement implementation of a capacitive pickup, but the COPs are typically heavily shielded to prevent radio frequency interference, what's also known as RFI. This makes acquisition extremely muted or at times impossible. However, the primary and secondary waveforms closely mimic each other, meaning the same data can be extracted from either one. An option would be to ins in instead connect to the primary side of the coil. However, unless you are faced with a two-wire cop, you will have no access to capture the primary voltage waveforms either. The two-wire cop is controlled the same as a coil found in a distributor system. The switching device is in one of the controllers in the, least mentioned, in the list mentioned earlier. These systems offer direct access to the primary circuit. Simply connect to the control circuit between the coil and the switching device. But if you are dealing with a three or four wire cop, the switching device is internal to the coil, leaving the primary circuit inaccessible. However, there is a solution. 
Simply pull the cot from the cylinder head and connect a high-tension extension lead between the coil and the plug. This will offer the same secondary waveform acquisition opportunity as did an old distributor system. Viewing combustion through the eyes of the ignition scope, what technicians frequently fail to realize is that the ignition waveform offers a tremendous amount of information, not just info pertaining to the health of the ignition components. In fact, here is a list of some of what can be, what can be derived from ignition waveforms of today's newest vehicles in combination with other tests and under a variety of different engine operating conditions. Low cylinder compression, lean air fuel ratios, rich air fuel ratios, EGR dilution, cylinder sealing issues, weak ignition coils, loosely fitted spark plug wires or poorly installed cops, poor injector spray pattern, carbon contaminated GDI platforms, shorted spark plugs, excessive spark plug gaps, carbon tracking, ignition timing issues, primary circuit voltage drops, poorly functioning switching devices, condenser failure. With the ability to detect such potential faults with one simple connection to the vehicle, I have grown to love ignition waveform acquisition and analysis and implement it frequently. I must tell you that it certainly is not the first test I choose to perform. In fact, as some of, as some of you regular readers recall, I always recommend reaching for the low-hanging fruit. The easiest information to grab that offers the most insight is always my goal, which typically begins with scan tool data. But ignition waveforms can provide another arrow in the quiver, so to speak. Anytime I can back up my theories about a potential fault with the results from not one but multiple tests, the likelihood of my being accurate in my analysis or where what I may choose to test next is significantly higher. Take the time to do your diligence. Acquire the tools to perform the analysis on known good vehicles and practice often, creating your own faults deliberately and capturing the waveform for analysis. It's like my mentor, Jim Morton, always says, if you become comfortable with what good looks like, bad sticks out like a sore thumb. Although these acquisition and, and analytical skill sets are, are not a necessity, they certainly will be another tool in your belt for drivability concerns. Having the test results to lean on and analyze can be the difference between being confident in your diagnosis and simply hoping for the best outcome with your fingers crossed. Keep your eyes open for my upcoming ignition class that is currently under development. It should be available sometime in late 2023-2024 and will cover everything you need to know about the physics involved, ignition theory and operation, the correct tools to have, and how to use them. The class will even teach you how to, to experiment safely so you can grow your knowledge and expand your horizon as an industry-leading diagnostician. So... That's that's uh, quite a bit of information about the coil, and uh, it's uh, it's really kind of a neat device. And obviously, it's been around for a long time. And uh, even with all the technology we have in today's cars, like he says, the ignition coil still operates the same way, basically, as they did from the very beginning. It's just they're they're controlled differently. And the fact that we have one coil for each spark plug now, whereas before there used to be one coil that would go to a distributor cap and the spark would be distributed distributed out to the engine from the distributor cap. So, um, you know, some of the ways that things are done are different, but the, <coughs> the, the essential bottom line of it, the coil still works the same. So, 
I hope you got something out of that. It wasn't too technical. Um, I, I hope you... Uh, <laughs> I didn't bore you to death with that one. I know I've done some podcasts in the in the past about the coil. I just this one in reading the article, I thought, wow, this is really just a lot of good information. So, uh, if I am repeating myself based from another podcast, why well, I, I apologize, but I thought it was good stuff. So, that's about it. Again, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail dot com. And again, I'm also under LinkedIn under Brad's Motorworks. So. I hope you uh, found some uh, some good information there, and uh, thank you for listening. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you, and thank you again.